Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is that of 1 Kings, just read, and also Mark's Gospel. Range anxiety. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. Perhaps it's a new term to you, or possibly you have lived it. I read about it a few weeks ago. The one experiencing it was the reviewer of, I believe, a Honda Clarity fuel cell car, a car that runs on liquid hydrogen. The hydrogen is injected into specially designed tanks at pressures of roughly 10,000 pounds per square inch. Your tires are filled at about 35 pounds per square inch to give you a little bit of comparison. The refueling infrastructure is fairly limited. None that I could locate was within a Indiana, Indiana, really none in the Midwest. The rider's location when his anxiety hit was somewhere in California's Los Angeles area as he went from one non-functioning hydrogen depot to another. And with all his technology constantly reminding him, he needed fuel and quickly. It just could not guarantee the station he was headed to had a functioning refueling system. Some of you, I am sure, have experienced with plug-in only electric vehicles that leave golf courses. These are truly first world problems. But this range anxiety is brought on by only one form of scarcity of resources that we might encounter. I am sure you could think of others income, housing, medical resources, or insurance, and especially during a disaster, just relief from the elements, shelter, food, clean water, top the list. The result of these situations often will be in finding ourselves waiting and wanting, waiting for a friend with an ancient gasoline-powered car to come to the rescue, or wanting for someone to shelter, feed, and even clothe us. Possibly like many who fled their homes once more in California due to wildfires in the past few days. Many of them truly have no resources. This is a position we reflect upon at this point in the church year. The last half of the church year is dedicated to the teachings on the life of the church, not the festive times of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, or even the contemplative season of Lent that leads up to the joy of Easter. In this time, our teachings of how we are to live our lives as Christians as we wait, wanting, and longing for our Lord to return. We can easily find ourselves becoming weary and tired, even anxious as we go about our daily lives waiting for Christ to return. The exuberance of Christmas, almost a year past, and the new life of Easter is fading away with the leaves on the trees, and it can leave us wanting for some good news. Toss in political news and tragedy after seeming tragedy, and this sort of spiritual range anxiety becomes evident when we are mentally and spiritually exhausted of resources. Range anxiety finds someone between here and there, probably someplace and home. We are all headed home, 
And I am not talking about 2310 Hampton Circle or some other address. We are headed home to Christ. How will we make it? Between now and then, we are to trust in Him. Trust in Him to supply every need. I suppose many of us really do not know what it's like to be running out of resources, at least on a physical and practical level. Yet the cold hard fact is that everything is constantly running on empty. It just doesn't appear that way. The grocery store shelves are magically stocked overnight. The gas flows freely into our fuel tanks when we slip in the little plastic card, and the Starbucks coffee fix comes across the counter or through the drive-up window after we tap the screen on our phone and pay electronically. We trust in the norm of daily life to be the norm and rule that things will be there when we need them. Imagine yourself being low on resources to the point of being fed by ravens that bring meat and bread to you while you lie hidden near a stream, your only source of water. This is where Elijah found, has found himself. At the end of 1 Kings 16, Ahab becomes king and marries Jezebel. Together they do evil in the sight of the Lord, leading God's people to worship other gods. Elijah pronounces God's judgment on Ahab in the land by predicting a drought. At the word of the Lord, Elijah, of the word of the Lord directs Elijah to go into hiding, but he meets his every need by leading him to a stream and sending ravens. That water eventually runs out. And then we find Elijah in our text today, where he has come to the widow at Zarephath that God has instructed to feed him. She is gathering sticks, or possibly even just the shafts left over from grain that had been harvested in order to make a fire. He asked her to bring him a drink of water, possibly testing her to see if she was the woman God had sent him to. As she goes, he tells them, bring me a morsel of bread so that I can eat it. Here we learn of her plight. She has no bread baked and only a handful of flour and a little bit of oil with which to make a final meal for her and her son that they might eat it and die. A sort of last supper. Rational thinking, at least in worldly terms, has not been part of the prophet's thinking process. If it had been, he may have never followed God's plan to save him. A rational thought would have been, a widow? Really? Widows have nothing to offer. They are poor, no husband, no means of support. This was especially true as the faith of God's people had slipped away, replaced by the worship of idols. God had made provision for the most at risk, like the widow and orphan, within the law that he had given his people rational thought would have predicted and avoided exactly what he saw now, a woman who was all but out of resources. The fuel cell was on E, past the red lines on any gauge, and her time was over. Elijah's words are striking. Have no fear. After her last meal, she's preparing to die, and he tells her, have no fear. Nearly the same words spoken by the angel to Mary when he came to proclaim to her that she was to give birth to Jesus, or Jesus himself to his disciples after the resurrection. Have no fear. 
Make your bread like you planned, but feed me first, and then make something for the two of you. Verse 14 goes on to say, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rains upon the earth. Where was her rational thinking that would have said, Oh yeah, right, and now I and my son will die hungry, and you go off satisfied to find another fool. Against all worldly reasoning, she trusts the Word of God that has come to her and the Word of God spoken to her by the prophet. Our gospel text tells of another widow, the one in the temple. Jesus had to bring the focus on her because no one was watching this poor woman. The rich were placing their tithes in the offering boxes, and she she was nothing more than a pothole in the road as they made their way with their contribution, an inconvenience to get around and move on. Yet Jesus sees her drop in two coins, equal to about a penny, a sixty-fourth of a day's wages, it has been said. So possibly in today's figures, it's a buck and change. Two silent, small copper coins hit the box with no fanfare, unnoticed by those around her. She had broken the piggy bank, emptied the coffee can, and scoured her pockets for every last cent. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing into the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Where on earth was her rational thinking? Her thinking wasn't on earth, possibly not even on those being her last two coins. Psalm 146.3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Don't trust worldly wisdom and rational thought when what is needed is trust in God. The psalm goes on, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, and who gives food to the hungry. We are given these two examples of widows who, with nearly nothing but their God-given breath, give out of their poverty, trusting God to provide. With their resources dwindling, they did not go into a mode of preservation and protection. They trusted God and gave freely, just as they trusted Him to freely give and supply their need. When we trust in the Lord, there is always enough. That is easier said than done, but it should not be a surprise. God has been teaching his people about trust through scarcity of resources for a long, long time so they may learn to trust him. He provided manna in the desert when there was no other food and water from a rock. With just five loaves and two fish, how many thousands of men, women, and children did he feed with an abundance of leftovers to show he would always supply more than is needed. With Jesus, there is always enough. 
It is a lesson we struggle to learn, but one that points us time and time again to the cross. Jesus came to be enough. Enough to pay the full price for our sin. His mission, the mission of God, was not about multiplying food to fill our stomachs, but about His grace and mercy that overflows to free us from sin and death. His mission is about atonement and restoration. The Old Testament sacrifices were never enough to cleanse us from our sin permanently. The bread and meat from the ravens and the food from the widow's cupboard was enough for the day and the support of the body, but life must come from God. Even as Elijah, the widow and her son, ate the food that did not run out, her son became ill and his breath left him. He died. The widow blamed Elijah for the death, even though his arrival had lengthened her and her son's days. And Elijah took the boy and prayed to God that he would let his life come back to him, and God did it. Because with God there is enough. Not even death could rule in that house. And so it is with us. We are living more and more in a drought, not of water, but of faith. It looks like a drought of everything else that is good. Society is more coarse, people more uncivil, and rhetoric is off the charts. But as Christians, we are to live to many what seems irrationally within the life of the church and God's promise that shows us the joys of heaven as we live in the drought. We are to be constantly aware that that with faith in God and Jesus, that there is always enough. Chrysostom writes of the widow's offering in his work on the incomprehensible nature of God. He writes, When the widow put into the collection box only two small coins, the master did not give her recompense worth only two coins. Why was that? because he paid no attention to the amount of the money. What he did heed was the wealth of her soul. If you calculate by the value of her money, her poverty is great. If you bring her intention into the light, you will see that her store of generosity defies description. Her intention was to trust in God for all her needs because the generosity of our Lord similarly defies description. It defies description in its ability to cover our sin with righteousness and forgiveness. Christ gives generously of his body and blood in his supper to fill our, not to fill our stomach and physical need, but to fill our hearts and minds with faith in him as we live out our days with a trust in him so that we never have to have the issue of range anxiety as it relates to our reaching our heavenly home. The fuel is unlimited. God in Christ wants to fill us through his word, baptism, and supper as we live our life in the life of his church. And with faith in Jesus, there is always enough. Amen.